Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Mod Path Chat the official podcast of Modern Pathology, featuring interviews with authors and experts on the latest science, technology, and developments in the field of pathology. Your host, Dr. George Netto, is the editor-in-chief of Modern Pathology and the chair of pathology at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Here's Dr. Netto. Welcome to Mod Path Chat. My guest today is Dr. Andrew Fulp, Professor of Pathology at the Mayo Clinic. Dr. Fulp is an international expert in the field of bone and soft tissue pathology. He is an editor on the fifth edition of the WHO book on the topic. Andrew today is joining me to discuss his recent publication in our journal Modern Pathology, uh, describing a new entity or a potentially new entity, we'll discuss that, Andrew, uh, termed uh, by his team as uh, xanthogranulomatous epithelioid tumors. Uh, so thank you, Andrew, for accepting the invitation and uh, welcome on ModPath Chat again. Thank you, George, very much for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be part of the Modern Pathology podcast series, and uh, it's uh, an honor to help to try to talk a little bit about our paper. So, yeah, I'm, take it I'm, away. You thought you thought you're a celebrity. Wait till you're on the podcast series. It's going to be wow. You're going to be rocking, man. Well, once I go viral, I'm going to still try to remember some of the little people. So, <laughs> Exactly. That's for all we all wish we can be viral one day, but hopefully uh, the right kind of viruses. So uh, we always start with uh, what led you to, to do this study? Well, it, it was actually kind of interesting how this came about. And it came about um, the, the way that I think a lot of our best projects, I don't know if this is the best project, but the way that a lot of good projects do, which is really through a clinical question. And in this case, it came about quite directly through a clinical question. In fact, it's the one of the reasons why you should never give an orthopedic tumor surgeon your, your cell phone uh, is that uh, I got a call on the weekend uh, from a, one of our orthopedic tumor surgeons who who said, is the anthogranuloma benign or malignant? And I said, well, they're, they're benign. Um, I said, why are you worrying about this? He said, well, I've got this patient with a soft tissue mass, and they're telling me on the needle biopsies, it's, it's juvenile's anthogranuloma. And I said, well, yeah, I mean, they, you know, they're reasonably common, kind of benign things. I said, they, you know, they're skin tumors. And he said, well, this isn't a skin tumor. This is a reasonably large subcutaneous mass. 
when I said, huh, well, that's kind of interesting. Let me um, let me take a look at the slides when I get in on Monday. So Monday I get in and I, I pull the slides and almost immediately I saw that there were these unusual cells in this biopsy that were these distinctly eosinophilic epithelioid cells, either singly or in small clusters of cells. And, and to be honest, I immediately had a panic reaction that this was an epithelial sarcoma with sort of a bizarre reaction and that uh, my colleague who had signed out had, had you know, was going to have a problem. So I, I got the blocks and, and did some immunostains. And lo and behold, these cells that were distinctly eosinophilic were quite strongly keratin positive. But they came back as being uh, normal for INI1. And, and we actually did BRG1 uh, as well. And that was normal. And then, you know, the whole background just sort of seemed odd. And so then I asked the clinician and talked to the radiologist and they said, well, you know, it is a subcutaneous lesion, but it's it's kind of circumscribed. Um, and, and this patient actually had an interesting history, a history of osteopetrosis and had come to Mayo from the Middle East. One thing led to another. And eventually I said, well, it, it looks like it's an unusual tumor. It's got epithelial cells and it's got the xanthogranulomatous reaction. I said, I don't think it corresponds to anything that I know of. I said, why don't you take it out? We'll see what it looks like. And when they resected it, it was the same thing. Um, we did genetic stuff on it. It, um, it. it showed a mutation in a gene, but it was a gene that's associated with osteopetrosis, this PLE. KHM1. Uh, so I, I think that was either a passenger or, or unrelated to the tumor. But in any event, we, we had this case and we thought this looks kind of interesting. And then as these things happen, uh, not long after that on the consult service, I got another one. And then I said, hmm, if I got another one on the consult, I probably had something before. How would I have coded this? So then I went back through basically everything that I had coded in my very sophisticated Excel database as uh, containing the word xanthogranulomatous, figuring that's how I'm going to find them. And uh, more of them came up. Uh, then, and then this is sort of the power of the USCAP meeting. When we presented this uh, abstract at the meeting, uh, Kin Thway and, and um, Dr. Samathi from the UK said, you know, we have, we've seen these. We've seen them in bone. And so then we got a couple others from there. And then subsequently, we've seen a few others as well. So... So that's the story. And I guess, as I said, like a lot of things, it begins with a clinical case and a, and a phone call. Well, uh, you pretty much answered uh, my next question is, is how the design uh, of the study uh, went by. But uh, so can you elaborate a little bit? You mentioned uh, the uh, RNA-seq results. I know in one case you did RNA-seq and you found the plaque. Uh, variance is actually was a VUS, right? It was of undetermined significance. Yeah. Uh, but uh, what panel of IRC you did on these studies? Well, so we, we've done, um, you know, basically different types of keratins. So we, we've looked for, do these things express low and high molecular weight keratins or just one? And they, they seem to express both low and high molecular weight keratin isoforms, which would suggest that they're showing true epithelial or complex epithelial differentiation. So uh, usually when you get aberrant keratin expression in soft tissue tumors, it's, it's almost always only low molecular weight keratins. When you, when you get both, it's usually in soft tissue tumors that have true epithelial differentiation. So, for example, the glands in synovial sarcoma or the cells of epithelial sarcoma will, will express both. Um, so here it had both. We, we actually didn't originally, but a reviewer asked us to look for 7 and 20. Those were negative. 
uh, we looked at a variety of epithelial lineage markers. They were all negative. We looked, you know, I think most probably the most important things that were negative were endothelial markers, uh, CD31, CD34, fly and erg, um, and then the, the retained expression of SMARC-B1 and SMARC-A4, INI1 and BRG1. So we, we were sort of left with these cells are clearly epithelial. They're clearly distinct. I mean, one of the points we tried to make in the paper was this wasn't just keratin and mirror activity in the histiocytic cells of a JXG. This was a, a morphologically distinctive subset of cells, which in turn immunolabeled in a distinctive fashion. So there, there was clearly something there. Um, I mean, that was basically the, the immunohistochemical part of it. We We have tried you know, to NGS a few of these things, and we haven't ever pulled anything out. And um, okay. I don't know whether that speaks to the method or, or what's going on in the cell. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I, I wanted to, to expand a little bit on, you mentioned the idea of the expression of cytokeratin, low versus high, and, and I know in the discussion piece, uh, I think it's good to remind our audience, uh, because we're all faced with these lesions that express, and we say, oh, it's just an aberrant expression. So aberrant versus uh, something that is characteristic for the mesenchymal lesion. Uh, and then uh, you mentioned also the some smooth blue cell with, with dot-like. So you, you actually rely on that, because I know smooth muscle sarcomas can, can have some expression of cytokeratins, but can you, can you help us a little bit how you approach in a 
spindle cell lesion in something that you're thinking is going to be a sarcoma or a mesenchymal tumor. Uh, you touched upon that, but just so the audience can can learn from this. Well, there's basically, you know, so when when the intermediate filaments were originally described as diagnostic markers back in the 80s, the concept was, you know, keratins were going to be epithelial and vimentin would be sarcomas and GFAP and glial tumors. And it took about two weeks for surgical pathologists to realize it wasn't going to be as simple as that. And, you know, the, the, the most obvious ones right off the bat were sarcomatoid carcinomas, which clearly seemed to lose keratins and, and express vimentin. It wasn't too long after that that we started to appreciate that there were certain mesenchymal cells with which routinely express keratins and smooth muscle cells and endothelial cells are probably the two best examples. Um, and so when we see keratin expression in lama sarcomas or lamiomas or various endothelial tumors, it's technically not really aberrant expression. We're just, um, we don't, we forget that it's normal. Now there's other tumors where it's clearly aberrant, um, when you see keratin expression in whatever the cell type is, it gives rise to Ewing sarcoma. That that cell type is probably not supposed to be expressing keratin. So that's a pitfall. Uh, keratin in rhabdomyosarcomas, which is quite common, that's also aberrant because rab- skeletal muscle cells generally shouldn't express keratins. Um, so again, there, there's sort of there's several different categories, and then there's there's even another category, which is when it's cross reactivity. So, for mm-hmm. example, there's a phenomenon of keratin positive schwannomas where you can you can demonstrate through Western blots that what that is is that in fact cross-reactivity with GFAP. So so it turns out to be sort of complex and, and yeah, if if you'd ever told me that I would have spent twenty years worrying about intermediate filaments, I might have I might have laughed at you, but but such it is such it is. It is. It is life. Well, uh, so you're, you touched on the findings. Anything else uh, you want to add about the findings beside, uh, I mean, looking at the, the figure six in the paper, and uh, in one of them, these, what you're terming eosinophilic cells, they really look uh, like individually keratinized uh, squamous epithelial cells if it weren't for the bland uh, nuclear uh, morphology, but which also can be. So uh, anything you want to share? To- well, they do. And, and that's, I mean, I don't know where they're coming from. Um, you know, in soft tissue, you know, if they occurred in the skin, you know, you'd say, well, it's adnexal. Well, they're deep soft tissue. They're, they're in the subcutis. So we, you don't normally have adnexal in the subcutis. So we're, and then we see them in bone. And we've actually seen a couple more cases recently in bone. One of them actually a very, very interesting case that was seen by, um, I, I won't drag the person in, but a very well-known bone pathologist who saw the initial biopsy and called it as anthogranuloma of bone. And, and really, there was no way you would have picked up on it unless you were looking for this. And it predated our publication. Then it recurred as a more destructive lesion in the same place. And the epithelial component became more obvious. And it was sort of at that point that I that actually I had ended up getting the case in consult. Um and, you know, I guess the point in discussing it with the other person was, you know, his comment, which I thought was a good one, was that he, you know, he would have to go back and find it every case he'd ever called xanthogranioma bone because you wonder whether all of those are really this. So, again, in bone, with the exception of the tibia and fibula, you don't normally have bones that have epithelial elements that entrapped in them. So, how you get these keratin-positive cells in the cervical or thoracic vertebra I have no idea. 
you know, I mean, like so many things in soft tissue, we can wave our hands in the air and say it's genetics. But um, as you say, they do look squamous, but mm-hmm. but they never form squamous pearls. They never have intercellular bridges. So I don't know. I don't know whether that's real or just, you know, the impression we get. Uh, I mean, and that latter point is very helpful because you want to make sure you're not missing a metastatic squamous or metastatic carcinoma. You bring you bring that issue up in in the differential beside, you know, the adamantimona and uh, and other uh, uh, lesions. You also uh, uh, mentioned in the differential JXJ, I guess now it's called solitary. Uh, solitary xanthogranuloma, how it's superficial. So, so I guess that's an important. What else is important in the differential diagnosis for you? Well, I mean, you know, it sort of depends on location and soft tissue. Again, you sort of have the differential. You've got keratin-positive cells. So, again, epithelial sarcoma uh, or other keratin-positive. It would really be only epithelial sarcoma. Carcinoma, obviously, a nexal carcinoma of some type. Uh, in bone, I think you probably focus more on the giant cells. And so differential might include various giant cell-rich tumors of bone, giant cell tumor of bone being sort of the prototype. And, you know, there again, it shouldn't be keratin positive. It would it would be uh, positive for the histone G34W marker, which is negative in these. Uh, I suppose in soft tissue, you might also consider tenosynovial giant cell tumor, which, again, looks a little different, doesn't contain keratin positive cells. Um and and, and contains a pop yeah and Langerhans cell cytosis I mean you know you could you could you could make this list very long but mm-hmm. these are these are interesting and sort of distinctive lesions and I think once you recognize them then you sort of go gosh you know we must have seen them before did we just miss them did we call them something else I mean that's always the question with a new entity is, wh- is where it was it where was it before. Yeah. And then is it really a new entity, which, which is something I want to discuss with you and uh, you as a, an associate editor uh, of, uh, in our journal and, and several of our team, you know, you get a publication and it's uh, suggesting a potential new entity. And on one hand, like you said, you, you want to, if it's truly that, you want to share it with your audience and publish it to, to start discovering those things where, where they were hiding before and, and hopefully learn more about the biology. But the question always in my mind, where is a new entity has to from now on be based on molecular changes uh, which I'm not sure this this one will satisfy that, or is it like in your experience here that these group of lesions don't fit anywhere else? So let's let's call them that and potential new entity or emerging or whatever you want to call it, and and take it from there. Can you can you explain? Well, I mean, it's a, it's a combination of things. Obviously, I mean, one of the problems we've run into in soft tissue is and in bone is, you know, we're we're sort of in danger of becoming heme path in the sense of having essentially undifferentiated round cell lesions showing different molecular events and then being uncertain whether these are truly entities or not. Now, and, and, it's, and it depends. So, if, for example, if you look at uh, – if you, if you look, for example, at the chick ducks tumors, what you know, used to be in the Ewing family, the chick ducks tumors – turn out once once you know about them to have distinctive morphology to the point that 
now that we look at these tumors and we're making this diagnosis on the H&E and, and actually the molecular diagnosis of them can be very challenging because a fair number of them are NGS negative and you end up having to do fish or do other things. But we know in those cases how to keep pursuing them because of the morphology and the immunophenotype is quite characteristic. So that's an entity, no doubt. There's other groups, for example, there's tumors that have been described as having, um, or is it EWSR1 PBX3 fusions, where the morphology seems a little more over the map, all over the map, and they don't seem to hang together as well. And then you run into the question of, you know, are we describing an entity with this genetic event, or are we just simply identifying this genetic event in a bunch of different things? And, and, and again, I think the answer is going to be different for different things. The most satisfying new entities, and the, at some level, the most frustrating ones, or the, or the most humbling ones, if you're someone an expert in an area, is something like angiofibroma of soft tissue that Chris Fletcher described a few years ago. That's an incredibly distinctive lesion, which honestly doesn't really look like other things and turns out to have specific genetics. We all must have seen dozens of these things. And the question is, what did we call them before Chris pointed out to us? Mm -hmm. These particular combination of features are distinctive and, and point towards specific genetics. So those are really, you know, the, that's, that's the hitting the home run in an entity. That's what you, when you try to describe something new, you ideally want something that is, you know, clinically, morphologically, and ideally genetically distinctive. And, and you don't always get that, but, but that's the best. So maybe, and I, I fully agree, you know, clearly if something case after case, it doesn't have to be identical, but they share a lot of common features and then molecular uh, genetic alterations, one or two with a couple of variants or different partners, then that's, that's probably the easiest part in describing a new lesion and dignifying it with such. It's uh, where the level of Edison, maybe we'll have different level of evidence for creating new entities similar to what we do uh, in, in other parts of medicine. And then when it's one versus the other, it's just a morphology. Uh, it doesn't negate that we just didn't find those molecular evidence yet. So, uh, so I think uh, there is a value to doing that, like you just said. Yeah. But yeah. I think that one of the things that, that it's important to emphasize, you know, particularly trainees, and, and that it's it's easy to get caught up in the molecular stuff. And I think the the key to the mo to having molecular findings that stand the test of time is having really good morphology. And so. I think when when you look at what has become believable new entities, they were often things that people pulled out of other groups and and even despite a certain amount of initial significance, stuck with them and said, "No, I'm telling you this is distinctive." And once we had enough of them defined carefully enough, then the genetics then you're able to confirm it with the genetics. And that's happened over and over in soft tissue. And you know, some of them are the things I've been involved in, some of the things other people have been involved in. But it's always gratifying, whether it's your own entity or somebody else's, to see somebody's stubbornness rewarded by the geneticists, you know, a few a few years later. So uh, you know, I mean Harry Evans was the classic. I mean, Harry, Harry reported low grade fiber mixed on two cases, and everyone laughed at him. And then he reported 12 cases and people still kind of laughed at him. Well, now everyone in the world accepts that tumor and it's got specific genetics. And 
I mean, I think that's what we strive for when we when we try to describe new things. But that's that's the beauty of our field, right? Pathology, it's uh, spanned the whole spectrum. Expertise from morphology, uh, HNE, immunophenotype, and now molecular genetic path, and and bringing everything together. So we're lucky to be in this field. Well, thank you, Andrew. This uh, I enjoyed the conversation. I'm sure our audience will uh, enjoy and learn a lot from uh, hearing it. And uh, I want to specifically thank you for your role uh, in the journal, your very, very helpful and important role in the journal, uh, taking care of all these complicated lesions for us uh, as a great author submit to our journal as an associate editor. And uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Andrew is an avid uh, biker. And uh, I remember one time we were in Croatia and you, you came... Uh, I think the uh, giving the talks was an afterthought. The main, uh, the main uh, uh, thing on the menu was the biking. So uh, uh, that's one thing I always uh, admire in you, how multifaceted you are. Thank you, George. Hopefully one day we can travel again so we can get back to uh, nice places like Croatia and Slovenia and all those places. Someday, right? Someday. Someday. Hopefully, hopefully some, somewhere in 2021, later yeah. possibly. We'll see. Thanks again. Thank you. Any opinions expressed in this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the views of modern pathology, Springer Nature, UAB, or USCAP. Your ModPath chat host and scientific director is Dr. George Netto. Producers are Christina Crow, Amber Jackson, Dr. Sarah Jang, and Dr. Catherine Ketchum. Technical direction is provided by Kaminsky Productions, music by Mitch Neubauer. Thanks to the authors, reviewers, and editors of Modern Pathology for making this podcast possible.